I'm going to read from verses 8 to 26. John chapter 14, verses 8 to 26. If I can request the congregation to please stand up as we read God's word. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you have not known me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. The greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, and you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will ask you, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom this world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live and you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will be man, how, sorry, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Father God, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. We speak matters concerning the King. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen. Amen. We've been doing a series on doctrines, and we saw over the past couple of months, we've seen the doctrine of the Father, the doctrine of the Son, and today we want to look at the doctrine of the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, and that we can be thankful for answered prayers. And what we want to do is see who he, who he is and what he means to us by the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to encourage a personal study that you would go and read up because we won't be able to cover all that is there today, but that you would be excited. Uh, Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God, he writes, if I were Satan, that's what Francis Chan says, if I was Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, so, even as we do the study, even as you would do the study, I want you to recognize we want to understand God. And it's because of that, that we don't understand Him completely, that becomes the opportunity, the source for our praise and for worship. So it's not so that we know Him entirely, but that we can worship Him as we learn about God's Word. So in this passage that we looked at, if you will turn, to, turn back to uh, the passage in verse 8, I want to call it the desire 8 to 11. I want to call it the desire of the disciple. Every believer has this desire that they want to see the Father. And Philip says, uh, show, me the, show us the Father and it will be sufficient. Uh, what we realize is they had missed the point. They forgot, or they didn't realize that Jesus Christ was Jehovah incarnate. We saw that previously. And so in verse 9, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the, Jesus, the Lord Jesus says. And then he goes on to explain what? In verse 10, my words, the words that I speak, I, I don't speak on my own authority. I speak as the Father gives to me. And then in verse 11, not just my, my words, in verse 11, you see my works. The works that I do is because I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. The, the, the imagery is already there for us about the indwelling. And then you come to verse, uh, to verse 12 to verse 16. I want to call it the promise of the Lord. The promise of the Lord. In verse 12, it says we have the privilege of greater works. In verse 13 to 14, it says our petitions will be answered. In verse 16, there's a promise of another helper. I want to break this down for us, okay, so that we understand. The first is the privilege of greater works, greater works than Jesus. So this is a good time for you to say, what? How? Do you want to do that? Right. How is it that we do greater works than Jesus? Because he himself is saying that you do greater works than, than me. And I want you to understand that this works, the reference to works is the reference to miracles. Not the work on the cross because that's unique. Only Christ can do. There's no one else who can do. John, who was inspired by the word of God, calls his miracles what? He calls them signs. And what do signs do? They point. They point to Jesus Christ. We saw that already in chapter 21, that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God. And so the question that we ask is, what has been pointed to? What's been pointed to? So we saw that it, you know, it's something that's something else. It's not the miracles itself, which is great. And so what can we conclude here? Two things. One, we have the opportunity to share the gospel. And in sharing the gospel is a greater work than just a miracle work. Miracles point to Jesus Christ, who is the one who is our Savior. And today we have the opportunity to partner, if you would, in the gospel work. I was thinking about it, and I said, how do I understand? How do I, you know, uh, uh, how, how do I explain this further? The soul that comes home, there's rejoicing in heaven over that. And though it's a happy occasion when we, when we, when we have healing, physical healing or whatever, I, I, I don't read about angels throwing a party. What's happening is that the work of the, within the soul of the soul coming, to, coming home is greater 
than the miracles and the signs. The miracles are just a sign. Secondly, I also want you to recognize that those workers are greater in range. Jesus in his physical body, while he was in, the, in Israel, he rarely left the borders of Israel. But today in his mystic body, through the church, we reach to the outermost parts of the world. I met with somebody this week and he is going off to Australia. Sorry, to Papua New Guinea via Australia and where the tribes are going to receive for the first time Bible in their own language. And they're so excited, not the missionaries, but the people. And while he was there last time, there was another tribe who came up to that tribe and as a mark of their desperation, cut off his finger. He says, we are desperate for God's word. Why don't you guys come? And... All they could say is, we can pray, there's not enough people. But there's a desperation out there in those remotest parts of the world. And that we can reach there through the work that God has called us to. And we can do that because of the indwelling spirit. The indwelling spirit. And so, uh, I want us to recognize that greater work. But also, I want you to see that there is the uniqueness of this helper. In verse, four, in verse 16, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Let's break that down again, all right? I, I think, did I, break, did I complete the first one? I'm not sure, I'm just getting excited. Verse 13 and 14, yeah, we're, we're there. Um, again, I want to break this down to four things, okay? First, I will ask the Father. You see, I will ask the Father. It's the prerogative of the Son to ask the Father that we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, He's a gift. And by definition of what we know who a gift, what a gift is, it's something that's given to us and that we can't really grab and ask and, uh, and get. But then there's a challenge, right? Because then people say, do we pray for the Holy Spirit? And so, I want, to, I want us to clarify some uh, uh, you know, our understanding over that. Because there's a verse in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, which says, if you, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So here we have a verse that says, ask for the Holy Spirit and you will receive it. And yet we see it's a, it's a gift. He's a gift. And how do we, how do we you know, match up both? Uh, it's led to a wrong teaching. And I refer this from a book, The Holy Spirit I Knew by Dennis and Rita Bennett. Uh, and they say that there are two kinds of coming. The first is the incoming of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And second is the receiving of making welcome of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I want to put this into a context to say that there's no two comings of the Holy Spirit. That the Receiving of the Holy Spirit is at the moment of. And I want to give you some quick verses to help us understand that. Okay, so let's put this into context. The first one, I want you to understand, we read from 14, 16, that it's God's initiative. But I also want you to look at John chapter 3, verse 8. John chapter 3, verse 8 says, And the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, and you do not know where it's come from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What does that mean? 
So is the one who is born of the Spirit. Doesn't mean that we who are born of the Spirit are like the wind, but the cause, the Spirit, He is the one, like wind that cannot be controlled, that cannot be channeled, that cannot be, uh, you know, uh, caused. Holy Spirit is the one who is the initiator of this work that we have in our hearts. I also want you to recognize from Romans chapter 8, verse 9, that this is a relationship that he brings us into. And so it says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. So if you don't have the Spirit of God, if I have to pray to get the Spirit of God, I don't have a relationship. It's the Spirit of God who is in me, who makes me belong to God. And then I'll also give you another verse, the basis of receiving God's word. And we read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Acts chapter 2, 38 and 39. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord calls for, <coughs> for himself. What's happening here? Verse 38 says there's a need for repentance. Repentance that happens. Verse 39 says the Lord calls to himself. And verse 38 says receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your repentance, your forgiveness sets in motion the, the receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. And then in verse 41, 42, it goes on to talk about the fellowship and the communion and all of that, that that's happening. So really what's happening when we, when we ask for the Holy Spirit, it is through the repentance of our sin that we come to him and he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's at the moment of that when we become his, that he gives us his Holy Spirit. We'll go down and as we clarify this a little more. But I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is a gift. That the Son prayed to the Father and that we received. But I also like the fact when it says, I will pray that he will give you another helper. I like that phrase in Greek. The, the word in English is just one word for another. But in Greek, there are two words for another. One is heteros and the other is alos. Heteros is another of a different kind and alos is of the another of the same kind. So if I say, give me a fruit and you've given me an apple, and if I say, give me a fruit, it could mean not just an apple, give me an orange. So that would be a heteros. Give me a heteros fruit would mean, give me, no, no, not just apple, give me an orange. But if I say, give me an alos fruit, then give me another apple. And the Lord Jesus Christ uses the word alos, means to say it's another helper of the same kind, of the same type. There's no difference at all. Another helper. And then he is another helper. Paracletos, our advocate, our comforter, as some of your translations would say. Uh, and I'm not sure if you knew this, but the word comforter is a combination of two words, come and forte. This is, this is all old English, because now when you say comfort, it's somebody who comes, sits next to you, and probably rubs his shoulder or whatever it is. But comfort 
come and forte is comes together and forte is to strengthen. He comes together to strengthen. So we have in the Holy Spirit, not just a God who comes alongside to emotionally give us support, but the one who strengthens us. Here's another helper that Jesus Christ prays for. And then it goes on to say that he'll be with us forever. Simply speaking, it says that, you know, I've got an everlasting life, that I would not lose my salvation, and that he will be with me forever if I'm, if I'm his, in verse 16. And then in verse 17, it says he's the spirit of truth. We can trust what he says about, about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the spirit of truth. He speaks into our hearts. Verse 17, he's exclusive. No one else can get him, only the ones who belong to him. The world cannot receive him. They can't even understand him. Only we can. And then in verse 17, he's a resident. Not like in the Old Testament where for a brief moment the Old Testament uh, uh, saints would have the, uh, the Holy Spirit come upon them. But we have the Holy Spirit as a resident in our hearts, living, for perm- uh, living permanently. And then verse 17, he's a companion. He'll be with us and will be our comforter. We will not be abandoned. Verse 18 says, there's an occupied sign on our hearts saying that Jesus lives here through the Holy Spirit. Occupied. And then it goes on to say in verse 19 of that, um, it says, and in a yet a little while, what can you expect next as Jesus is talking to his disciples? This is what he says. And um, you see, you will see me, but the others will not. There's this indication that the post-resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ were only to those who believe in Jesus and not to others. Uh, we, we can be sure exclusively from that, from this verse, but at least we know the believers saw that. But one thing, when somebody says, you know, show me God, have you seen Jesus? You know, I'll believe if you see, have you seen Jesus? And my answer to them would be, yes, I've seen Jesus because of the strength of this verse that says that I have seen Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who has revealed the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart. And oftentimes we recognize that what's revealed in our hearts is more uh, right than what our eyes have seen. Uh, We even saw last week when we put up that uh, dress about the white and gold. Our eyes see something, but the truth may be something else. And so he speaks into our hearts. The world is unable to see and to receive this person who God has given us. And then in verse 19, it says, we live because Jesus lives. What does Galatians 2.20 says? I've been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live because he lives. And verse 20 explains that. He says, the indwelling spirit means that Jesus is in us and we are in him and and that he is in the Father. That we are in Jesus, Jesus in us, and he and the Father, you know, I want you to, I want you to understand this imagery, right? You take a, a pail of water, okay, a big pail of water, and then take a small uh, vessel, a small container. And then you dip that into it. Or take a bottle, 
okay, with a cork out and it dipped the bottle in. Now what's happening is the bottle is in the water of that pail of uh, water. There's water inside and both the water and the bottle and the water in the bottle is in the pail. That's the imagery. That you are that bottle. That spirit of God would be in us and that we would be in God and that, and that we'd be in the Father because the Lord Jesus Christ is in the Father. And then in verse 22 to 24, it says obedience is the condition. What makes us, makes this possible? Verse 21, the love of God and the revelation of the Son. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and, and the Father will love you. And, and we will be made manifest. He will manifest himself, reveal himself to us. And again, verse 22, the world cannot understand this. Because in 23, when we say God takes residence in us, the work of the Holy Spirit is to make our heart a loving heart for the residence of the King the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then you get to verse 26. It gives us two uh, of the roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our life. He teaches us all things and he brings to remembrance what Jesus said. That's been our experience this morning. But those are just the two things. In fact, I have a list of 34 things that that the Holy Spirit does in our life. And I, 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 we won't get into all of that. I, I will touch on some which seems to have caused confusion and, and it's good to clarify that. But allow me to read quickly through the list because some might just stick in our hearts. Access to God. He anoints us for service. He assures us. He gives, he's the author of the scripture. He baptizes us. We are born as believers through him. He calls and commissions. He cleanses. He convicts of sins. He creates. In Genesis, we see that. And in Job, he empowers. He fills. He gives gifts. He glorifies Christ. He guides in truth. Helps our weakness. Indwells in believers. He inspires prayers. He intercedes. He interprets the scripture. He leads. He liberates. He molds character. He produces fruit. He empowers believers. He raises from the dead. He regenerates. He sanctifies. He seals. He strengthens, he teaches, he testifies, he gives us victory over the flesh, he allows us to worship, he is the helper. I'm not sure how much of that you got in, but I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to bombard that. Because oftentimes, uh, and even Francis Chan, when he wrote the book, he called, he titled his book, The Forgotten God. We, we rarely preach on the Holy Spirit, and we don't, know much of all the work that he does. So I want us to know that, that this prayer of Jesus that was answered, that God would be in us through his spirit, is a privilege that only saints can have. And then I want to touch on very quickly some of the work that he does in, in us. And the first one is that of regeneration and in, in giving new new birth, a generation which is new. Luke chapter 1 verse 35, we see how uh, angel tells Mary that the Spirit of uh, Christ, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And we see that in creation too. Now that's a unique event 
that happened over Mary, but as believers, as ones who come to Christ, we experience the supernatural overshadowing in our lives. How do I say that? In, in Ephesians 2, we read that we were DOA. You should ask me what that is. Dead on arrival. Rich in, thank you. <laughs> we are spiritually stillborn. We have no ability of our own to do anything that is spiritual. Tell God through the Holy Spirit, he initiates us, makes it alive. God, I say this because God and God alone can bring to life, bring to life from out of death and something out of nothing. No one else. And so regeneration is therefore a rebirthing, giving a fresh and new. In John's first episode, we read that, he, that we are born of God six times. John is just captured and enamored by this and he, he says this for six times that we are born of God. So the work of the Holy Spirit, we saw already God the Father, God the Son, and the triune God, God the Holy Spirit, in the involvement as our hearts are regenerated. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, something that, again, this, that throws confusion. There are 11 passages that talks to us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these can be divided into three parts. The first is the prophetic passages. Uh, the three passages, prophetic, Pentecostal, and purpose. Easy to remember, right? Prophetic, Pentecostal, and purpose. So the first is the prophetic uh, passage. And I'll, there are many passages, but I'll read you one from Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize you with the water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose saddles I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. These are references at a point of time and future when it was said that, that, that Christ will baptize with the Holy Spirit. We know that happened on the day of Pentecost, and it continues to happen each time a believer trusts in Jesus. Those are prophetic passages. And then you have Pentecostal passages that talks to us about baptism as referring to the day of Pentecost. Again, Acts 2, uh, Acts 11, let me read from you, uh, read to you from Acts chapter 11, verse 15 and 16. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This talks about the birth of the church as it fell, as it happened on the day of the Pentecost. So you have the prophetic that was looking ahead, then passages that talked about the Pentecostal that happened on the day of Pentecost or referring to that. But then you also have the purpose passages, which are, which, uh, which are again many in Romans, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, and 1 Corinthians. But let me read to you a verse from Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many as were baptized into Christ, not that expression, baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, have put on Christ being baptized into Christ. Now, I want you to understand, this is not water baptism. 
This is being baptized into Christ, as we saw in this verse. I want you to understand, this is a work of God in our lives that we can't fully understand. It's imperceptible. We can't discern sometimes. Like, there's no transformation. I I so wish sometimes that we had wings the moment we became Christians. It would be so good, right? I'm going to speak the gospel. I knock on the door. They open the door, and I just open the wing, and it says, I've come to speak about Jesus. It would have been so good. I can look around and say, oh, you got wings. You don't have wings. Okay, let me go speak to give the gospel to that person. It doesn't work that way. Because the deepest work of God happens in the deepest recesses of our hearts. And it comes out from there. And so, also, at the point when the believer when the sinner believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's at that point. It's automatic. It's spontaneous. It requires no humor, human intervention. Baptism, therefore, places the believing sinner into the body of Christ, and, um, and it's at that point of conversion. Remember the, the, uh, the bucket and the pail illustration? So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you being placed in as a bottle being placed into that bucket of water. And um, I think at this point I should definitely touch on uh, during the baptism of, uh, of the Spirit, do we speak in tongues? Now, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about the cessation or the continuation of tongues. I'm not talking about, you know, if tongues have ceased or not ceased, but the question here that we have is that when you are saved, will you speak in tongues as an indication of your conversion in your heart? I want you to stay with me because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 30, this is what it says. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he writes, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Then again in 1 Corinthians 14 5, we won't look at that, but there's an indication that even though you are a Christian, not all of you have the gift of healing or not all of you speak in tongues and not all of you have the interpretation. However, in the same book, when he gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 and 13, this is what says, everyone will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a must Because we already saw in Romans 8, 9, he who has not the Spirit of God is none of his. And so then the question, therefore, is the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if you were with me in my thought. The indwelling, and then we spoke about the baptism, and then we look at the filling of the, of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So... The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event. It happens at the time of salvation. When the sinner becomes a saint, it's automatic without human intervention. But the filling of the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, is a command. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a command. It's not something that happens automatic. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit Paul writes. And it can happen many times. So the question that you have to ask me is how do I, how, how will I be filled with the Holy Spirit? How will I be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Right? You're asking me, one okay. How do I, how am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me go through again real quick at least four ways that we can remember or we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. One is grow up. The first one is grow up. And it is that, you know, we read in Peter saying that it, the desire of a newborn baby, they desire milk, there must be that hunger, there must be that thirst. If there's no hunger, there's no thirst, then there's no need for you to be filled where you need to be desired to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 38 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Come to me and ask. And out of him will go living waters and then not just grow up but give up there's a giving up of sin in second corinthians chapter 7 verse verse 1 says give up the sins by confessing and desiring to be clean before god it says since we have these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit bringing holiness to completion in the fear of god because a filling will only happen in a cleansed heart. But not just giving up of sin, but there's a giving in of the will. There's a growing up, there's a giving up, and there's a giving in. Romans 12, 1, which says, you know, appeal to your brothers by the mercies of God that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice. It must be a living sacrifice that that it's not our will we 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 spoke about it this morning how the heavenly uh, uh how god came down the lord jesus christ how he came in the will of the father and that it is an opportunity for us that not my will but thy will be done that'll be true and then the fourth one is grow on. Grow up, give up, give in, and grow on. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, we, we always say that we want, we want to walk, we want to, to uh, give up our sin. We, we want to follow the will of the Father, but yet there are things that, there, there are things to be giving up. Uh, there are things that we need to give in, and we haven't done that. And it can only happen when we, have, when we are filled by the Spirit. It requires a life that is forgiven of sins and that is submitted uh, in its will. A uh, filled life will be fruitful, it will be joyful, and it will lead to service. A filled life is where the Holy Spirit, God in us, is not just the resident, but he is the president. That he is the one who is in control. He is the one who is in the throne of our life. That he alone would be God and Lord and master of our lives. So very quickly, the three things, the indwelling, the baptism, and the, and the filling. In the baptism, we are bapt- 
in, uh, in the baptism, sorry, in the indwelling, uh, spirit takes residence into our hearts. In baptism, we are placed in Christ. Okay, are you with me here? In the indwelling, the spirit of God comes into our hearts. In the baptism, we are placed into the body of Christ. And in the filling, we now allow for that, for the spirit to take control of our lives. And that it is not us. And we saw that in Galatians 2.20. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. And so you, you have that. And I also want to talk very quickly about the illumination of the Spirit. And, and this is important for us to know that he is the one who helps us understand the Word of God. You see, when we talk about the Word of God, there are three parts. There's the revelation, there's the inspiration, and there's the illumination. Okay, you follow with me on that, right? Revelation, inspiration, and illumination. The doctrine of the word says, yes, God's word was revealed and it's been inspired as the Holy Spirit led the authors to, the writers to write. They, they, it was God-breathed. But now the word that is revealed and inspired as we read it, we need the Spirit of God to speak into our hearts, and that's in the illumination. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, and there we see, sorry, it's 2 Cor 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 to 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 to 14. We see why, why we need the Spirit of God to speak to us. Verse 7 and 8 says, the Word of God is a mystery. It's secret and hidden. Verse 10 says, that it must be revealed and searched out by the scriptures, uh, by the Spirit, sorry, it's revealed and, and searched out by the Spirit. It is not that Spirit is revealing or uh, searching itself for himself. He knows, he is God, but he does that for us. He is like the instrument for us as we dig deep into God's word. The dig deep is through the help of the Spirit. Verse 10, he reveals the depths of God. Verse 11, the Spirit understands the thoughts of God, and therefore he is the one who can explain to us the Word of God. Verse 13, this cannot be taught by human wisdom. This is a wisdom from, from, the, from out of this world. And so the interpreting, interpreting in, the Word can be interpreted, the spiritual things can only be interpreted by the Spirit of God. And verse 14 says, the natural man cannot understand it. The Holy Spirit uses to witness about the inspired, the, the incarnate word of God using the inspired word of God. And that's why I want to place a premium. If you want to know God's will, if you want to walk as he walked, if you want to be all that you a heart desires to serve God, you must come to the word of God. And that's how we see, uh, someone said, you, you, what you soak in most is what you drip. You talk to some people and very quickly you would know what they've been soaking themselves in. Now say this to, to our shame. And then we ask for counsel. I, I want us to remember to go not to, not to the ones who are uh, of, because of the age or status or intelligence or achievements or the wealth or the proficiency. None of these matters because all of these are about the world. 
you want to understand, you know, the wiser things, go to the one who is, who is soaked in the word. Because Psalm 19 verse 7 says, it's the word of God that gives us wisdom. And then, um, and then we see that, that he is also our sanctifier. He makes us, he, he works in us to make us holy. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the process of, of sanctification is the, the work of the growing obedience to the word of God. That each day we, would, we will obey God's word no matter what. A great expense to ourself, our will, our flesh. So the question I want to ask in these dying moments is if, Christ, if God is living in us through the Holy Spirit, what does that mean to us? How does that affect my life? How does that affect my behavior? How does it reflect my choices? How does that affect my desires? What, what I do, what I harbor, what I refuse to let go? I plead that today as we hear God's word, that the things that, that the Spirit of God has been speaking to our hearts. We, we're coming away from our winter. We, we've shoveled our driveway and we don't want to do it anymore. But we left the driveway to our heart unshoveled. We have left clumps of sin. We, have, we, we, we haven't addressed that. We haven't taken it to the Lord. We know what the truth is. You see, I think it was Ossie Sproul. He says, it's not a problem that we have about theology, but it's theological integrity. And the difference is, we know what God's word is saying, but we give ourselves excuses. We say we are just human, we are weak, we can't do it. And God is saying, I've given you my spirit in your heart that you are not, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. That our lives would reflect that if, if we know who lives in the neighboring houses, we know, oh, there lives that person, there lives this person. Why isn't that anybody can say to us when they look to us that there lives Christ in you? May that become the reality of God dwelling with us, dwelling in us. That's, the, that's when we can say, that the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have, you know, we have quenched the Spirit. We have grieved the Holy Spirit. We've quenched the Holy Spirit. I want you to look that up and we'll see what happens. But the worst is when we are an indifferent Christian. When it doesn't pain us anymore, we just... Say, oh, that's right. That doesn't matter. That's indifference. And that happens when the conviction of the Holy Spirit is no more speaking into your hearts. Your hearts have become stone. The Spirit of God has been quenched in your hearts. I pray that your hearts would never, ever reach that point. That the Spirit of God will continue to convict in our hearts. And we will say together, each one of us in this member of this family, we will say, Lord, 
I want to be holy thine. I, I see how Jesus Christ says, the Father has dwelled in me, and what I speak, the words that I speak, is because of the authority that I have of the Father, and the works that I do is because the Father dwells in me. And today we can see the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, that our words and our works would be to his glory. May his name be glorified. Father God, we want to thank you for your goodness. We pray, Lord, that this would be a reality of our hearts. Our stone-heartedness would be broken, Lord, that you would be glorified. We don't want to go on like this anymore. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified indeed in our lives, in our hearts. The things that you've been convicting of us and that we pushed away, saying, Lord, oh, it doesn't matter, look at someone else, look at their lives, and uh, we have... We have pushed it aside and we pray, Lord, that today would be the day when we will stand before the mirror of God's word and ask ourselves, Lord, it's time for us to change. That nothing else will ever matter. And that, Lord, that it will be well, it will be indeed well with our soul. In Jesus Christ, Lord's name. Amen.